Good evening. It is so good to get to be together tonight. I don't know that I've actually officially gotten the opportunity uh, like on a Sunday night just to preach. And so I don't know if I've, I've shared this uh, with this congregation. But for me, Sunday nights are my favorite service of the week. And I know that's like so abnormal. Uh, and, and most people would, would say otherwise. Um, but for me, the idea of a group of Christians who did worship together this morning, most of us were blessed to have that opportunity, have said, you know what we want to do tonight? A few hours later, post-Sunday afternoon naps, we want to gather back together and continue to praise God in song and continue to study. And the fact that we have a room full of people who have made this a priority, many of you for most of your life and and others of you, maybe it's a a new priority, is such a beautiful thing to me. And for that reason, Sunday nights have always been something that have been incredibly special to me. It's a group of Christians who have said, we want to be there for a second time today. And, and so I love getting to worship with you on Sunday nights. Um, and I, I'm so glad that we're here together. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in just a moment. Our entire, uh, our entire time tonight, we're not going anywhere but 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. So tonight we're just going to essentially dwell in this passage. And what I think we will find as we go through this passage tonight, is that we are going to see a very consistent theme that Paul, inspired by the Spirit, is going to address. This entire, really, book of 1 Corinthians is going to be this overarching theme of unity. Uh, But what we're going to see with Paul uh, as he begins the book is he can't start out in this weak Um, this weak sauce intro. He really has to hit hard the point of what unity is going to be. And I think that for us as Christians, by the way, when you're sitting here and and you have a singular Sunday night, not in a series uh, that you can't build around, it is kind of difficult to choose something to to preach on because you're like, man, I don't want to sound like I'm choosing something aggressive or just choosing something weak. And so getting to just dwell in this this moment in 1 Corinthians and in a discussion that is something that that I personally struggle with and, and maybe you do too is definitely uh, something that is that is uh, beneficial, I believe. And like, like I mentioned, it's this big idea of church unity that is going to be addressed in these first three chapters. Here's the thing, and I, I need to put this disclaimer out there before we begin tonight, because uh, I think that when, when we think of this idea of unity, immediately, and, and oh, this was so difficult this week, because as I was preparing about this, like, like I was very hypocritical to this, because it just goes to different, your mind goes to different places, but unity, when you think about it, is like, those people over there, are not being unified. Or those people in this part of my life have decided that they're going to divide the body of Christ. And in our minds, immediately when we think about this idea of disunity in a congregation, it is almost never something where we sit there and be like, you know what, this is on me, this is my fault. And so what I want us to do tonight is, is sit here and, and think about uh, this in the perspective of other people. I see in, in youth work all the time, and I see this idea of people placing the blame of disunity on others. And, and I'll, have a, uh, I'll have a parent, and, and keep in mind, this is not like a here thing. This is everywhere I've ever done youth work. I have a parent who will come up to me, and they'll say something along the lines of, hey, you know, in, in your youth group, my child is just not accepted. 
and, and they are not loved and, and nobody wants to be a, a part of their life. And, uh, and what is unfortunate is oftentimes that is a, a pretty, a little bit of a reality. But with other individuals, I sit there and I, and I hear them say that and, uh, and there, there's a lot of blame being thrown at the youth ministry and the students in the youth program. And I have to look at the parent and, and say, I respect the feelings. I respect what you're going through. I respect the fact that you were willing to come to talk to me. But I need to let you see it from a different perspective for a moment. Your child is there once a week at one service a week and never shows up to any other of the other things we're doing. Ever. It's very hard for our youth group members to plug in with your student in that case. Now, what I'm not saying is, is that the youth group members should not be loving and accepting the moment that that student walks in, right? Uh, that is not at all what I'm indicating to that parent. What I'm indicating to that parent is, I want you to zoom out and see the perspective that what you need to do is invest in, in making sure that your teenager has the opportunity to be loved and accepted by the youth program. And once again, that's not always the case. A lot of times there are individuals who are there every single time who feel rejected. That's on the case of the youth program. But what I wanted us to back up and look at that example is, is I want us to see how there can be two different perspectives in this. And oftentimes what we don't see is the perspective of everybody else. And what we just see is our perspective. And so we see a lot of disunity taking place from other people. When we're excluded, it's someone else's fault. When somebody's treating us poorly, it, 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 is, it is totally their fault. When we see little pockets of clicks, it, it, is, it is all their fault. And what I want us to do tonight is I want us to take a step back. Because... If tonight we sit here and we walk away from this lesson and we say, okay, well, that, there are all these people who are disunified and all these people who hate a bunch of people in this church and, and it's all their fault that we're not unified, then we will walk away more divided than we arrived. And so what we must do tonight as we walk through 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3 is we must take a step back and if it is to the best of our ability... We must not at any point think about other people, but only think about ourselves, our responsibilities, and how we can be the ones who are seeking unity in our lives and be the ones who are choosing unity every single day. And so we arrive in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul begins an introduction. He says, hello, it's good to see you. I'm loving writing to you. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ. That's verse 4. And then he gets pretty quickly into the meat of the conversation in verse 9. And he says, God is faithful by whom I, I need this. I need this is like a big we're going to come back to verse 9 like three or four times tonight. God is faithful by whom you were called into what? Into the fellowship of of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He looks at the church at Corinth. And before he can even get a full three paragraphs, because there are a couple short ones there at the beginning, before he can even get really into any idea, he looks at the church and says, by the way, here's something major we have to remember. To what are you called? You're called to the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And fellowship is the exact opposite of division. 
Fellowship is this idea of togetherness, this idea of being unified, this idea of being tight-knit. And he says, look, you are called into the what? You're called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. You are the body of Christ who is to be unified. And then without hesitation, he's going to continue on, and it's almost like he's bringing down the hammer in verse 10. Look at what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. That's something that's very difficult, by the way. That all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He says, remember what I just said? I just said that we are to be united in the fellowship of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And he says, based on that Savior whom we have fellowship with, based on that body, we should not be divided. And before he's ever going to get into any intense topics that we see later in the book of 1 Corinthians, some of these topics that, that to be fair, when we look at our church world, like when I say the church world, like, like the greater Christian realm of Christians across America, there's a lot in 1 Corinthians that has sent people a lot of different directions. And what he sits here and he says, here's what, here's what you have to realize before you ever even read anything that's about to come. You have to understand that we are unified in the fellowship of the body of Christ. Do not be divided. And look how he continues in verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, Peter, or I follow Christ. He looks at these people who have, this is a, re, this is a first century church, recent, recent till, recently have had Jesus in their presence. They understand the call, the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And he looks at these individuals and indicates that they had forgotten where their unity was to come from. They had forgotten that their unity was to be found in Jesus Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And before we can even have a tiny discussion about what church unity looks like as an overarching whole, we must acknowledge this. He asks a rhetorical question, is Christ divided? And I almost like, one assault, we're not going to do this. But like we could jump out of the pews and shout, no, Christ is not divided. He was never supposed to be divided. And he sits here and says, we should not allow the, the body of Christ to be divided. Christ is one. And if we are the body of Christ as the church, how dare we decapitate him by allowing disunity to be among us? I'm going to say that again because I think I intentionally use some pretty grotesque language here on purpose. Because I need this to stand out. If we are truly the body of Christ, the same one that existed in Corinth in the first century, if we are the body of Christ, how dare we decapitate him by disunity being among us? How dare we destroy the body of Christ into different pieces is our call today. As we continue on, I want us to pause for just a moment as we, before we move in this passage to think about the thing that causes us to decapitate the body of Jesus Christ. And what I think is so funny is that for, for us, 
it is always, as we mentioned before, always because of another person's opinion. If you Think about this. If you walked into the body of Christ today and, and it was just you or just your opinion that matters, so your opinion could be stated and, and, it would be, and it would be bold and everybody accepted it, there would be no division. I want you to imagine that I were to walk in and I were to say, Hello, church. Today we will all agree that, that Ben McGreevy is going to preach every single service for the rest of your life. And none of you would be upset. And you should be upset. You know, like there, there's, a, there's this like, that, that doesn't make any sense. But if it was only my opinion, then there would be no division. But if I were to come in there and make that statement, I'm sure that there, uh, there actually might still not be division because you all might uh, agree that that is not a good idea. But you would, you know, you would sit there and say, okay, some of you might say, I'm good with that. Others of you might say, I absolutely never want this guy to ever preach ever again on the, the, from the Buford pulpit or for that matter, anywhere. And you might have that opinion and all these different opinions could float around and there would be division. But if it was just my opinion, there would be no division. And so what we can establish is that there, the reality of division exists because I have opinions on things. And what, what Paul's about to do, and the reason why you can walk through chapters 1, 2, and 3 to establish this entire overarching concept of addressing division in the church, is because he is going to address all these things. It isn't new to the 2023 church that there are disagreements and divisions among us. It isn't new to this congregation that, that somebody on this side of the room disagrees with somebody over here where we are sitting here and we're looking at different individuals and we agree in different pockets on different opinions. Look at verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. He's, what he's about to do is, is diminish this idea of opinions mattering, by the way. But to us who are being saved... It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Note this uh, interesting point, in my opinion. If we think that our opinions are the only correct opinions, we will feel division with somebody else in the body. If we think that our opinions are correct, then we think we are the wisest person in the room. And you might say, well, I'm, I'm certainly not the wisest person in the room, but when it comes to this situation over here, I'm the only one who's right on it. Well, you're addressing that you are the wisest person in the room, right? So we sit here and we have this natural thing where we think that it's the right way to do it, and if we don't do it that way, it won't be as good of a thing. And what I want us to also acknowledge is that these things don't have to be our own opinions, but can often be the copying of the opinions of other people. So in this moment, what we can, we can address is like in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's going to reference uh, Paul and Apollos and Cephas and all these different people. And, uh, and Paul is saying, look, you're divided because you're following different opinions or you're having opinions that certain people do it better than others. Scholars would look at this and they would say that there's a chance that the church at Corinth was divided because they literally didn't like the preaching style of, of, of Apollos or Peter and they might like Paul's more. And so they might be divided because of those things. And what Paul does is he looks at them and he says, he, he writes down these words and he says, look, 
it is not at all about your opinion that matters. Look at verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He sits here and he references these well-respected individuals. He looks at the one who is wise, the, the top philosophers of the day, the smartest of the smart. It references the scribes, the ones who would be experts in Mosaic law or, or the, the law of God. It references the people who, who are trained in knowledge with the skills to debate and prove other people wrong. And what is so bizarre to me is there's a direct call on the, the wise, the scribe, and the debater of his age. And it is, is insane to me that you and I look to people just like this to form our opinions today. I don't know a lot about that, but this person does. Let me go get their opinion on it. Well, I, you know what? I, I think that this person's wrong and I need to destroy them. Let me go find a way to destroy their argument by talking to somebody who's great at debates and great at comebacks. Uh, you know what? There, there is somebody who's an expert on this law. Let me go get that person, and, and I will get them to tell me all these things so I can be ready to, to roast that person on Facebook the next time they comment, right? And, and we sit here, and we seek out those people. And, and Paul is saying, look, all that this is doing is, is if we acknowledge that these individuals are, are wiser than God, we are going to be divided. Because what's it say at the end of that verse? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, this is verse 21, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. We're going to come back to 23 and 24 in just a minute. Verse 25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I don't know, maybe this is just because of a lack of my own personal study, but I don't know that I had ever approached the context of the foolishness of God is wiser than men in the context of discussing unity, like Paul is doing here. I'd always looked at that and said, well, you know, God's always wiser. And what Paul is trying to indicate in this moment, in the context of this passage, is how dare we ever let the wisdom of people sitting in this room divide us? How dare we ever let somebody else's opinion, or, or my opinion for that matter, be the thing that destroys church unity? How could we ever let our opinions, and, and I know that this is, is way, like, way deeper than, than the surface level of what we're touching on tonight, but how can we ever allow our opinions to be formed by anyone other than God himself? In a way to sit there and have disagreements and arguments and, and division when we're relying on the wisdom of mankind. And what Paul is going to indicate consistently throughout this is a consistent reference back to Christ. Look at verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of man. 
And Paul says, how do you deal with this? It's a direct call to Jesus. What's it say in verse 26, the beginning part of that verse? For consider your calling brothers. What is, what is that calling that it's talking about? We've jumped back to verse 9. We are called into what? The fellowship, the unity of Jesus Christ. Paul is sitting here and he's destroying the concept of disunity. He's destroying any chance that we could justify disunity in a beautiful intellectual way. Almost, and, and this, is, this is where I almost like sat back and chuckled a little bit. Because it's almost like mocking the disunity that existed. It's almost sitting there and being like, you guys are, are not unified because of some guy over here who thinks he's wise? You're disunified because somebody over here has an opinion that you think matters? Are you not allowing the words of Jesus to be your overdriving force in everything? Look at how he continues, verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being, hear these words in the context of of disunity in the church, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What's verse 31 say? So that it is written, let the one who boasts, let the one who's going to have confidence, let the one who's going to have an opinion, let that person Boast in the Lord. There's no room for a personal self-arrogance. And when we step back and we look around at churches that are full of division, what you begin to see is people who are seeking their own wisdom over the wisdom of the Father himself. It's almost as if Everyone in this, I'm going to use like our, this room personally tonight, if that's okay. Because like we're the body of Christ who's meeting here in Buford, Georgia on a Sunday night. Um, I think it's August 20th, right? It's like if we were to all sit here and have a massive canvas and we were to all start painting. And, and we all think that our little square is the most important to create this beautiful painting of who Jesus is. In reality, we're trying to push and shove and say, no, 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 let me have a little extra space over here because I'm a good painter here. Let me have a little extra space over here because I'm a good painter here. And we don't even know what the image we're painting is. And we're sitting here and we're having all these different little opinions on something that we're clueless on. It's an arrogance that is personified in disagreements with others. And we'll, we'll say things, and maybe, maybe you've experienced this. Uh, I, I know that, that I have probably, it's not probably, I know that I've, I have said these things many times at many congregations. We'll say things like, I don't agree with this person at all, so we're not going to get along very well. Or, or we're, that person is in the wrong on this specific matter, so I'm not going to really associate myself with them. They can go over there, and I can go over here. Or things like, that person just doesn't know what they're talking about. Or, or their perspective is way off. They don't really understand my perspective, so I'm just not going to be close with them. I'm not going to be friends with them. I'm not going to be friendly with them. And in the classic Paul way, I think he would look at us and say, what? With an exclamation point. By no means is that okay. 
in the church. And, and it is, it's brutal to realize that there is nobody who's sitting in this auditorium right now who is wise in the sense of God himself. And so Paul is sitting here and he's, he's, he's building this case. Why are you letting your foolish wisdom decapitate the body of Jesus Christ? And he's going to continue in this beautiful discourse. And I wish we had more time um, tonight to, to really build out chapter 2 and read all of it. Um, but what he does is he continues this by writing, none of what is being said has anything to do with me or anything about me. He's, he's referencing like, okay, I understand what you could be thinking. You could be thinking, well, Paul, you're the one writing this. Doesn't that mean that you're trying to say that you have wisdom? And it says, no, that's not the case with me. Uh, my wisdom doesn't matter. And he's going to say that the only wisdom that he is, is proclaiming is from the spirit of God. The, the fact that he is inspired to write down these words. Look at, look at all this can be found in chapter 2. Let's just look at a couple moments of this. Look at verse 7. He says the phrase, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And then again in verse 13 he says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And he's going to close out this beautiful moment of discussion of humility. This is the one that entirely allows oneself to let all opinions be based on the spirit of God and in his word with verse 16, which says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And why do we have the mind of Christ? Because what does it say in verse nine? Because we are in the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. And because we're in the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we have the mind of Jesus in our lives every single day. He goes back to Jesus over and over and over again, trying to indicate to the Christians that might be divided that, no, 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 let's not be divided. Let's come back into the fellowship of Jesus. And then he follows up verse 16. Like I said, I, I don't think that there's like two separate passages on unity here. It's like one big passage on the beauty of unity and, and how it matters as he moves forward. He, he comes back in on chapter 3 and look what he says. He says, but I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now, you're not ready. And, and why, why this, this is such an intense statement from Paul is because he just sent, spent an entire section of Scripture saying, every decision you need to make needs to be in the wisdom of the Spirit. Everything you do needs to be with the spirit in mind. And then he gets to this moment and he says, here's the issue. I can't address you as spiritual people. You're not even ready for solid food. You should be. You're old enough. You should be able to eat that solid food. But in reality, you are still getting fed milk. Why is that? Verse 3 for you are still of the flesh, 
What does that look like? For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And, and how is this jealousy and strife and human way uh, defined? What's it say in verse 4? For when one says, I follow Apollos, and another I follow Paul, are you not being merely humans? Paul looks at the Christians whom he said, you're divided and you shouldn't be. You're divided because you think you're wise, but you're seeking your own wisdom. Here's the deal. Do not seek wisdom of your own, but seek wisdom of the Spirit. You're not seeking wisdom of the Spirit because you're of the flesh. And you're of the flesh because you're choosing to be divided. Tonight, I want to allow our minds, as we said at the beginning, to focus on our personal lives for just a moment. Uh, by the way, this was a brutal week for me as I focused on this lesson because it was a lot of focusing on uh, where disunity has, has reigned in my life. Um, if I'm divided from someone in my church family right now, and, and I, this is maybe going to be awkward, um, but I kind of want you to look around at people in this room. Look around the room and see people who are here. See the faces. Think about, are you unified with everyone in this room? Here's another challenge. On Sunday morning, if the Lord wills, when we meet back here to take the Lord's Supper, and you're approaching the body of Christ, uh, and you go to take that bread and drink that cup, look around the room at the body of Christ and say, am I not unified with anyone in this room right now? Uh, I feel like I need to just like toss this in here because it like the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where it's, it's walking through like, like do not take like the Lord's Supper in vain, do not eat and drink in an unworthy manner. That's all in the, that's all in the context of disunity with the church. The body of Christ that it's referencing is the church. Look around the room. If you find, if we find ourselves at odds with someone in this room, Paul is saying, you're still in the flesh. And, and, and we could sit there and say, no, 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 no. Uh, see, Paul, you, you don't get it. I, I am, I am, I understand what you're saying. I, I kind of get it. You're, you're pretty spot on. You're an eloquent writer. I, I understand that side of things. But here's the deal, Paul. I, I just can't be unified with that person. They've mistreated me. They've been a jerk to me. They've said cruel things to me. I, I can't be close to them. I still need that solid food. And I, I, I think I'm in the spirit. I'm not of the flesh. No, Paul, you don't understand. I, 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 I have tried with them and they just don't seem to care. Paul, I, I, I don't like them very much. We don't have a lot in common. Paul, I, and we could keep the list going on and on and on. And we could sit there and say, no, look, I, I'm not of the flesh. I'm past the milk. I'm ready for meat. I'm ready for the depth of God's word. I'm ready for all of these things. 
And as much as we want to believe that if we are at odds with somebody who is a part of the body of Christ, we're cool to keep on living in this spirit life that we're tricking ourselves into thinking we're living. Paul would sit there and say, hey, I'm sorry to tell you, you can think you're so advanced in scripture. You can think you're so advanced in the acts and the, the, acts and the works that you do. You can think you're all these amazing spiritual things. But if you are not unified with the body of Christ to the best of your ability, then you're still walking in the flesh. And you still need milk because you're missing one of the biggest parts of what it means to be a Christian. And you're decapitating the body of Christ. So the question has to be asked. If Paul, inspired by the Spirit, of course, were to walk into this room tonight, um, that would be incredibly terrifying for me and I would run, run away and let him come up here. But if he were to walk into the room tonight, would he look at me and say, Ben, I'm, I'm sorry. You still need milk based on your relationship with other people who are sitting in this room or other people who are a part of the body of Christ. Or would he look at, at you and say, you know what? It's time for a steak dinner. Let's eat the meat together. Because you're striving after unity. You're putting aside your self-arrogance and wisdom and you understand that your Savior is your only true unifier. Um, tonight as we close, if you're divided from anyone in this body, tonight is the night to make it right. Don't leave here tonight without going to that person and saying, I want to unify our relationship again because we're dividing the body of Christ and, and we've got to make this right. If you're divided from Jesus right now because you haven't put him on in baptism, tonight is the night when, when it's time to become unified with him. If you need prayers in any way, uh, we would love to assist. If there's anything we can do, please come as we stand and as we sing. Christ be loyal and be true his banner.